This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, how could Jesus really be the answer? Now, we can't get a live audience today, but we can ask some big questions via some remote interviewing technology. And we're asking today's big question to Sam Chan. Sam is a cultural analyst, author, medical doctor, and preacher. He works as a national communicator with City Bible Forum, and he's a popular guest on Bigger Questions. Sam, welcome back to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Now, Sam, we're living in strange and somewhat troubled times at the moment with the coronavirus pandemic. How have you been coping in the coronavirus world? Oh, well, on the one hand, I'm loving the isolation. I feel like I'm in a space station with my family. We see each other like 24 hours a day. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm underperforming. Everyone on social media, they're making sourdough, they're planting herb gardens, (laughs) they're renovating their kitchen. And I just feel like I haven't done any of those things. So I feel like I'm letting the side down. I feel like I've underperformed. That's not so you're not into any of those kind of things at all? You're not having aspirations of making sourdough or, or renovating your kitchen? I just don't know how to. I was talking to this other guy how we're both Asian Australians and how Asians just put so much value on maths and the sciences and so little value on things like woodwork and craft. But, you know, right. in the real world, I wish I'd done woodwork and I wish I'd been good at it. I can't even hang a picture. You know, I can't even bang a nail <laughs> into the wall. You know, I, I haven't had to do any binary equations since year 12, so I'm wishing I'd done more woodwork. But we do tend to be living in pretty uncertain times, though, at the moment, Sam. Um, planning for the future has been very difficult. So what's been the hardest thing that you struggled to plan for at the moment in your life? Well, I'm an event speaker. So just overnight, people cancelled events. And you see some events which are like six or nine months out. People aren't mm. quite sure, do we cancel or not cancel? Cancel or not cancel? And then usually people just wait till the last minute and then cancel. Uh, and right. so just been t- you, I don't know what my diary looks like. I have all these entries in my diary and I don't know whether apply or not. Like there's a wedding in six months' time. I don't know whether that's mm. going to happen or not. The other thing is my wife and I, we do date night once a week and now in isolation, date night looks like any other night. It's just that we send <laughs> the kids down one end of the house and my wife and I, we comedy the TV and we watch Netflix instead of the kids. So we are living in uncertain times. It's very difficult to plan for the future. Now, at a recent talk that you gave at the City Bible Forum, uh, you spoke about uncertainty, fear, and the fears of the future. So do you think we fear the future? I think we didn't before because we had this feeling that we knew exactly what was going to happen in the future. So in our diaries, we... Even with my online diary, it isn't just what I'm going to do each day. It's what I'm going to do each hour of each day. We feel like we have so much control and everything's predictable and we expect what's happening. But suddenly just overnight, everything's unpredictable and there's so much uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone next week, let alone next year. And so do those things, that, that, that loss of control and that uncertainty, do you think they're driving our fears, are they? Oh, for sure. So, you know... I love how Peter Sandman, he has a PhD in risk assessment, risk communication, and it's whole thing that we're alarmed about certain things we should be calm about, but we're calm about mm-hmm. things we should be alarmed about. And great examples, which we're all familiar with, are we're scared of sharks and yet more people die in car accidents in Australia. We're afraid of the terrorist attacks and yet more people die from heart attacks. But what it is is 
we can't control sharks or terrorists, but I can control, you know, how I drive my car. I can control my exercise and diet. So as long as we feel like we're in control, we're not afraid of those things. But when we don't have any control, then we have a lot of fear about those things. So how do you think that's impacting us then? I know that like four weeks ago, I work one or two days a week as a doctor, just overnight, boom, they shut down the hospitals. And I remember the last case we did, we all said bye to each other and we said, see you the next time. And then there was this really uncomfortable pause as we looked at each other and said, what does that even mean? When, like, mm. What is the next time? Is it three months, six months or nine months or never? So this whole feeling of I think just doom and gloom and uncertainty. I, I say it's like falling down a hole and not knowing where the bottom is and where you're going to hit the bottom and whether you can ever climb back out. It's almost like I'm always amazed when I read about prisoners of war because when they're captured, they don't know whether they're going to be captive for one week, one year or 10 years. Like if someone said right from the start, it's going to be 10 years, you'd be okay. But because you don't know, uh, I, I think that's what it is. Right now, we don't know how long this is going to go for and we don't know what's going to happen. I know, even if we come out the other side of the curve, we're saying we're going to have a second spike, a third spike, a fourth spike. So just not knowing what the future looks like. Mm. And so that uncertainty then drives fear. Is that right? Oh, for sure. Again, on social media, everyone's posting pictures. Hey, look at me. You know, I'm exercising. Look at me in isolation. I'm making sourdough. But studies are now showing everyone's just putting up a, a very brave front. And it's only a thin facade because studies are showing anxiety, stress and depression are just sky high right now. David Brooks mm. in the New York Times just about a month ago asked readers to write in and just share how they're going. And he was overwhelmed by how many responses he got from readers and how almost every reader is not going well. They're not doing well. Mm. Stress, anxiety, mm. depression, people are not coping. Yeah. I think yeah. this feeling of impending doom, maybe that's the best way of putting it. It's a feeling of impending doom. We we feel like the worst is still in front of us. But do you really think that's the case though? Aren't people feeling like there's a sense of optimism and that actually things are going to be unwound and then we'll get back to normal, whatever that is in the you know in the short term, say the next six months or so? There's a yes and no to that. Even as a doctor, they've started opening up elective cases again and we started operating again one or two weeks ago and there was more traffic on the roads. So we're all getting mm. back out there and I'm noticing more people hang out outside the takeaways. So there's this feeling, okay, the worst is over. But I was just listening to Triple J, Dr. Carl, and Dr. Carl, who's the most rational, sensible, non-alarmist person, was a little bit alarmist himself. He's saying, hey, until there's a vaccine, we're going to enter the curve again. There will be a second mm. spike, a third spike, a fourth spike. And even Dr. Carl said, the vaccine, we don't know. It could come in four months' time. It could come in four years' time or it might never come. And if it never comes, it means we're all going to catch the virus. It's inevitable. And it's going to be like Russian roulette. Some of us are going to survive, but some of us won't survive. Mm. So that builds fear. I think so. I think, again, just this absolute loss of control. Like I can manage my risk when it comes to driving a car. I can put a seatbelt on. I can be sensible. But it's very hard to manage risk when it comes to this virus that you're definitely going to catch. Because right now we're washing hands, we're social distancing. But all that's trying to do is making sure we don't all get sick 
at one time. But we're all going to mm. get sick unless a vaccine. We're all going to catch it. We just don't want to catch it at the one time. Mm-hmm. Now, in this talk that you gave for City Bible Forum on fear, uncertainty in the future, uh, you suggested that Jesus can help with our fears and particularly the fear of the future. So how exactly does he do that? You know, Jesus speaks about this in a famous sermon he gives, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this became so real to me only like four or five weeks ago because Jesus himself in this sermon says, don't worry about what to wear, don't worry about what to eat, uh, look at the birds of the field. They've got enough to eat. Look at the flowers on the field. You know, they, they've got enough to wear, metaphorically. Uh, if God looks after the birds and the flowers of the field, how much more important are you? Surely God will look after you. And four weeks ago, I, I have two income streams and boom, both disappeared overnight. I lost all my right. doctor work. I lost all my event speaking work. And I thought, hang on, I've suddenly got no income. Uh, this sermon is now very real to me. I've just got to have a bigger perspective and realize, okay, somehow I've lost control, but there's a God out there who loves me and he's in control and that's okay. If God loves you though, you've lost your income. How, how are you yeah. going to live? You, 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 it's, it's all well and good to say don't worry, but it looks like if you've got to pay the mortgage or you've got to pay for groceries or for your sourdough recipe, how are you going <laughs> to so afford that? that? It, it seems like it's not going to work. If there's a God, that's what it comes down to. If there's a God... If there's a God and he does look after the birds, if he does look after the flowers of the field, and the big key to Jesus is how much more important are you? So let's have some mm. perspective. If there's a God out there and he's got things under control, even though it doesn't feel like he's got it under control right now, we've just got to trust he does. And there's this great proverb, and it goes like this, peace isn't being in control Peace is knowing that someone else is in control. And right now I've just got to trust that this God has a loving, powerful reason for what's going on. And that's a big part of fear, just knowing that it's okay not to be in control. The reason why we have so much stress and anxiety is that loss of control. But Jesus recalibrates it and says, you know what, it's okay. It's okay that we're not in control. One of the biggest problems is in the Western world right now, we get told the story, we've got to do whatever it takes to be happy. And part yeah. of the assumption there is we can control everything. We can control every outcome. But now suddenly we realize, no, we can't. Well, there's so much we can't control. I can't control the country I'm born in. I can't control who my parents are. I can't control which school they sent me to. Uh, and it's just being comfortable with not being in control. And that's what Jesus is saying. Just play zone offense, control what you can control, but know that there's God out there who's got everything else under control. But why does you have to look to something personal and bigger than you? Why can't you just look to the universe itself and sort of say, well, the universe is going to look after me and I can just relax and, and have peace in that way? It would be great if the universe could look after us. And we love to say things like that, Mother Earth, the universe and we anthropomorphize the universe as if it's this living, caring, personal being. But you and I both know as rational, empirical people, the universe is not personal. And that's it. We've basically only got two choices. Choice number one, the universe is impersonal. We're just atoms and molecules. We're just a blip in the timeline of the universe. We're just another species of life. And this is just a virus doing what viruses do. And you know what? The universe does not care. There is no rhythm. There's no rhyme. There's no purpose. You just are. And this is just part of the ebb and flow of the impersonal universe. But the second choice is this. You know what? There's a loving, 
personal God behind this universe. He loves you. He made you. He saves you. And he's got a loving, powerful reason for what's going on, even though you and I might not be able to see it right now. But we just got to trust that there is a loving, powerful, personal God behind what's happening. And there's a purpose. And we can just trust him for that. None of us live as if the universe is impersonal. None of us live as if there's no bigger story behind what's going on. We all need stories. We all tell stories. I think because in the end, there is the ultimate bigger story behind all our stories. Mm. And now just go back to the, the, what we were talking about before, which is about fear and uncertainty. Mm. And basically you've suggested that Jesus can help us with fear and uncertainty by trusting in something personal that's bigger than us. But I mean, you're a theologian. Uh, isn't this just a bit too convenient, a bit too easy? You know, problems and difficulties in the world, answer, Jesus, uh, don't you just say that because you're a theologian? Jesus is so nuanced. He says, don't worry about the troubles of tomorrow uh, because the troubles of today are enough already. So he's asking us both to recalibrate our fears, have a bigger perspective, but he's also saying, hey, I don't want to minimise the fears you have right now. The troubles of today, they're already enough. And I think what Jesus gives us is this. He gives us purpose. He gives us a why. Yes, suffering is real. Yes, pain is real. Yes, we can manage it without believing in a God. Like pain is there whether or not you want to believe in a God. And we can recalibrate, have a bigger perspective whether or not we choose to believe in a God. But what Jesus gives us is a why. Like there's a purpose. And everyone can endure suffering for only so long until they realize this is purposeless. But Jesus says, you know, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's got this under control and you just got to trust that there's a why, there's a purpose, there's direction. There's a hope. Maybe that's what Jesus can give us. He gives us a hope. You know, there's a saying that what Jesus says basically in the Bible is it will be okay in the end. And so if it's not okay right now, it just means the end hasn't come yet. And we, what Jesus gives us is a telos, a direction, an ending, a hope. Mm. But there's plenty of people who find meaning and purpose and hope without Jesus. So why do we need him? Yeah, so without Jesus, without God, and this is what the atheist writer in the New York Times would say, we can construct our own purpose. And that helps us get through each day. But I think in the end, constructing your own purpose, I say is like a country printing its own money. Like in the end, value has to be linked to some external reference point to have any value. And we can construct our own stories, invent our purposes, uh, but they're only useful for only so long. And after a while, we realize, you know what, there is no value. There is no purpose unless I can link this to some an external reference point, something outside of me, something outside of my own personal value system. And I think that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us the ultimate value system, the ultimate external reference point, uh, the biggest story, which is God's biggest story for us. But what about some people who just, you know, it's just not for them. You know, for many people, the whole religion, Jesus, philosophy thing, you know, it just doesn't really fit into their lives. Uh, you might claim that Jesus is the answer, but it's the answer to a question they're not even asking or thinking about. I mean, how do you respond to that? Yeah, you know, maybe I would say God gives us 66 books in the Bible. He could have given us a four-page little track, a four-page little pamphlet, but he gives us 66 books in the Bible written by different authors with different emotional and existential entry points. I say for anyone out there, 
explore the Bible. There are 66 different entry points. I think you, you just haven't explored this story that God has for you enough. There are there's something there for you. Maybe we've only had a one-dimensional explanation of God and Jesus. I always love to say, if you ask a Christian what Christianity is about, often they say, oh, it's about believing in Jesus, you get your sins forgiven, and now you get to be in heaven forever. And I say, that is the most narrow explanation of what Jesus offers. Like, Jesus actually, that's just entry level. you got to think of exit level. Exit level is you get to be part of the family of God. You get to have God as your father, not just judge, king, and maker of the universe, but God is your father, your dad. You can enjoy shalom, peace, rest. Uh, and again, just knowing that peace is not having to control everything, but peace is knowing that there's a God out there who is in control. Mm. Well, if Jesus is such good news then, and the answer to so many of life's biggest questions, then why do so few people follow him? Let me explain it this way. I think we haven't heard the Bible on its own terms. I'm Asian and I love making fun of Chinese tourists because I'm a Chinese tourist because you see Chinese tourists staying in their buses, speaking Chinese, and when they get out of their bus, they go to a Chinese restaurant and they order Chinese food. And then someone says, hey, it's not just the Chinese, the English do it and the Americans do it. In other words, we're all trapped in our own cultural bubbles and we don't see countries on their own terms. And somehow I think we're so blinded by our cultural blind spots. When we read the Bible, we don't see it on its own terms. So I like to yeah. ask anyone, I, I tell people out there, did you know right now Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world? More people are choosing to love, follow and worship Jesus in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia and in Latin America than ever before, thousands and thousands of people every day are choosing love, worship, and follow Jesus. What are they seeing in the Bible that we're missing in the West? Somehow we've come with all these cultural presuppositions. So I say, forget about the Jesus you think you know, forget about the Jesus you grew up with, and just rediscover the Jesus that these people are finding in the Bible. Because what Jesus offers us is freedom, freedom on so many terms, freedom from fear, freedom from darkness, and even freedom from shame. And that's a, and so many of us carry, well, this is what the virus is exposing to us. So many of us carry fears and insecurities and shame. David Brooks in his New York Times article says, you know, it's amazing, more people died from the flu pandemic in 1918 than, let's say, World War One and World War Two. But people love talking about World One and World War Two, about, you know, the people we became, there was so much honour, uh, you know, united the community, but no one talks about the flu pandemic mm. because we all don't like who we became. Mm. Pandemics bring out the worst in us. And what Jesus offers us is freedom, freedom from mm. fear. And we have a God who actually forgives us. He washes away all that shame and he lifts us up and he gives us honor. Mm. Speaking of the Bible, in the Gospel of John, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, uh, in chapter 6, Jesus speaks with a group of people who were following him. Now, there were some rumblings of discontent uh, for some time, and these grumblings reached their climax in a tense exchange that Jesus has with these followers. Jesus then asks if what he says offends them, and some are offended by his words. And then at verse 66 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, it says, from this time, many of its disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So this is interesting, Sam. So even in Jesus' day, there were people who didn't think that he had the answers to life. They didn't want to follow him. Now, does that surprise you? It's amazing because all these people were 
crowded around Jesus and suddenly Jesus says something so offensive, they all walk away. And I say at that moment, it's a difference between wanting to be acquainted with Jesus versus knowing Jesus personally. Uh, the problem was that they wanted too much from Jesus. They wanted too little from Jesus. These crowds were hanging around Jesus because they wanted to see a miracle. They wanted a yeah. blessing. They wanted a healing. They wanted something spectacular. And Jesus gave them all those things and suddenly says, you know what, if that's all you want, it's not that you're wanting too much, you're wanting too little. I want you to go one step further and actually know me personally, to love me, to worship me, to follow me. It's a difference between going to the cafe and the barista knows your name and your order. Yeah, but they, that, that barista is just an acquaintance. It's a business transaction. You give them five bucks, they give you coffee. It's a transaction. But you don't know that person personally. You're not going to invite them to your wedding they're not going to invite you to their 21st birthday party. And that's the difference. That's what Jesus says. That's so offensive. You know, if you want a blessing, if you want healing, if you want a God that gives you wealth and health and help your business succeed and to heal your diseases, you know, you just want a business transaction with this God. But God actually wants you to go one step further mm. and to love him, to worship him and to be loyal to him. And that's perhaps a more challenging proposition than, than what you were suggesting. This is interesting because in this pandemic, most of us have turned to prayer again. But what are we praying for? Often we're praying, oh, God, protect me from the virus. God, heal my relatives. And God, help my business. These are valid prayers. And I'm praying these prayers. But if that's all I'm praying, then I'm just after a sign from God when God says, you know what? Pray that one extra prayer. And it's this, God, I love you. I worship you. I follow you. And I trust you. God just wants us to go that one extra step in that one extra prayer. And that's what Jesus was asking. Mm. Well, something similar to that happens in the next part of, of John chapter 6 as the narrative continues where Jesus asked the 12 in verse 67, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter, which is one of Jesus' disciples, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what do you make of Simon's response here? How was Jesus the answer for Simon Peter? I love this because Peter says, you know what? In the end, we're after more than just bread. We're just we're after more than just our stomachs being filled. We're after more than just our sicknesses being healed and being in good health. We actually want eternal life. And that's what you can give us. And that's been the wake-up yeah. call. And we can only eat so much sourdough bread. We can only renovate our kitchen so many times. And then we have to realize, you know what? There's a life beyond the grave. Am I prepared for that? And that's what Jesus does. He prepares me for the life beyond the grave. Mm. But maybe isn't this just the problem with Jesus, religion and Christianity that you know, he offers eternal life, it's something that's you know, it's nice when you die, et cetera, but it really hasn't, doesn't seem to impact today at all. You know, perhaps if I've lost my job, I've lost my income, I've relationship troubles, you know, I want to go traveling, but doesn't eternal life just seem a little bit irrelevant? That's again where the English translations do such a poor job. Eternal life isn't what happens on the other side of the grave. Eternal life begins now. So I find my resting place. I find my full life, my filled life, my fulfilled life. And it begins now. And suddenly everything else fits into place. So it's like right now in life, we have all these little jigsaw puzzle pieces, but they're lying by themselves. So I have this work piece. I have this health piece. I have this friends and family piece. 
But what Jesus gives us, he gives us the whole picture, the full life, the fulfilled life, the eternal life. So everything we do right now on a day-to-day basis finds its fit in Jesus. So my eternal life begins now. Mm. So Sam, how has Jesus been the answer for you? I think in isolation, all of us are suffering loss. We're all suffering grief. We're mourning the loss of friends that we can't talk to. Uh, We're afraid of the health of our parents. We're grieving for our business, which might not survive. And we have friends who aren't doing well. Uh, So what Jesus means for me is even though I'm just seeing the noise, I'm just seeing the, the trees, Jesus allows me to zoom back and realize, you know, somehow there's a forest here and there's a purpose and I can also see I can find a resting place in God. Now, you know what? There's a God who's got this under control. So the big thing of stress is the loss of control, uh, not knowing what I'm responsible for. And what do I have now that I've lost everything? What Jesus tells me is, you know what? Just control what you can control. But there's a God who's got everything else under control. And when it's all stripped down, we know what we still have for sure. And it's this. There's a God who loves me. And I also love this God and nothing can take that away from me. Mm. And that really brings peace for you. Oh, for sure. Total, total peace. In isolation, everything gets magnified. Uh, So in isolation, whatever brokenness or dysfunction is there is just magnified. And again, that's where stress, anxiety and depression are just sky high because whatever brokenness is there, it's just magnified. But whatever peace is there is also magnified. And I don't know, somehow it's just rubbed off onto my children. They see the shalom, the peace in my life, that I'm happy to hand over control of things I can't control to a loving, personal, powerful God. I sense they're not stressed either. So when they try to log on to school and the internet's down, they're okay. When they're given a homework assignment that doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's probably because some teacher was scrambling trying to find something for them to do. Yeah. It's okay. When, you know, they're tired, they're bored, that's okay. Because right now there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger purpose, and that's okay. Mm. So, Sam, how can Jesus really be the answer? Jesus is the answer because I know the universe is not impersonal. Events don't just happen. There's not just a loving, powerful, personal God, but there's a Jesus who became one of me. So emotionally, he can empathize with me. And then he comes alongside, beside me. And he tells me that there'll be an ending to come, another chapter where God will right all wrongs, wipe away all tears, and Jesus will be with me in that journey. Mm. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question. How can Jesus really be the answer from John 6, 67 to 68? You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Sam Chan. Oh, Rob, thanks so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Now, I just wanted to let you know who we have lined up for next week's show, for we have a real treat. 
I'm very privileged to be asking Eurovision star Dami Im some bigger questions about Eurovision, the challenges and struggles of the music industry, and her story. So we tackled a big question, how can we sing when it hurts? And I just thought I'd give you a quick sneak peek of some of the show right now. Like when you're in the public public eye, you just have to expect there's going to be criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what you do, you can't really make everybody happy or like you. So mm. I guess part of the skill is to try and not pay attention to every kind of criticism that comes your way and, yeah. and focus on what you actually would like to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So Dami Im, Eurovision star on Bigger Questions, to be released on Sunday, 24th of May. I can't wait. Now, if today's podcast piqued your interest in investigating a bit more about the person of Jesus, as Sam suggested, then why not check out the Word One-to-One? It's some notes on the Gospel of John, which was some of the Bible that we reflected on briefly in today's show. Now, if you'd like to invest some time in reading through even just the first 18 sentences of the Gospel of John, which are unique in the whole Bible and many have found it life-changing, then perhaps you can find someone to read them through with you or contact us or check out the link in the show notes. Finally, if you'd like to understand the Bible's message a bit better, then why not check out Bible Shots? It's a weekly shot every Wednesday lunchtime at 1pm. Currently, it's been live-streamed on the City Bible Forum Facebook pages each week. Again, you can check out the link in the show notes. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I hope you're going well. And remember to keep asking the bigger questions.